Recovery Elevator, episode 150. I was drinking every day, and when I wasn't drinking, I was planning my drinking. I was scheduling everything around my drinking, and uh, I was usually hungover as well. So it was a combination of being hungover and planning drinking. That was it. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, my last drink was 1,202 days ago. On today's podcast episode, we've got Trisha. She's been sober since November 14th, 2016. And if the name Trisha sounds familiar, it's because she was interviewed in episode 100 and we decided to do a Where Are They Now interview and she's got one year of sobriety. It's an awesome interview. Tons of value bombs are dropped. Today is January 1st, 2018, and what better way to start your new year by joining us in person in Dallas on Saturday, January 20th, 2018 at the Marriott Residence Inn near Dallas DFW Airport. This recovery elevator social will take place from 7 to 9 p.m., and what a great way to get the new year started off right. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash Dallas for info and for tickets. Space is limited on this event, so don't wait. I want to thank my buddy Ben Bush for providing the music at the end of each podcast episode that you hear. And we actually just changed the music and I know you're going to like the song. You can find him on SoundCloud at NYE, which doesn't stand for New Year's Eve, but not your every day. The new song that we play at the end of every episode is called Superman. You're going to love it. In fact, let's go ahead and cue that song right now. Today is a big day. I don't like to put much emphasis or weight on the fact that it's the first day of the new year, January 1st, 2018, but it's hard to ignore what it represents. In modern age where we lump our days into weeks, into months, and 12 months equals a year, today it represents the start of a new year, a day to start new, a day to turn over a new leaf or however you want to say it. I want to keep this podcast real. There's a whole lot of not real in this world, especially on social media. It's tough not to get sucked in and play the keep up with the Joneses game. What I mean by saying keeping this podcast real is quitting drinking, it's not easy. I do want to paint the picture that sobriety is incredible. The other side is amazing, but getting unstuck is hard. I'm just like everybody else. I'm your average Joe. I've got good days and I've got bad days. During those bad days, part of me says, okay, Paul, put your game face on. Let's suit up and show up. Let's fake it until we make it which is fine. I've done that before and I guess today, well, I'm kind of doing the same thing, but I want to be real with you. Getting unstuck, although a tremendous opportunity, is hard. It's uncomfortable, it's scary, and it's dark. The light at the end of the tunnel could be a better way of life or it could be a fucking freight train. It's a blind leap of faith that the majority of us don't take. Seriously, the majority of people never get unstuck. The fact that you're listening to a podcast that is all about bettering your life sets you apart from all the rest. And getting unstuck, we face that edge. That is still just as sharp as it was yesterday, but we are ready to face it. By masking and avoiding uncomfortable emotions by simply not facing them, we never have to get unstuck because, well, we are caught in a perpetual state of being stuck, which becomes the norm. Like Pema Chodron says, right now, the uncomfortable feeling you're feeling at this very moment is the very best teacher we can ask for, and by avoiding that is denying ourselves the chance to grow. The day before my fifth birthday, I had a goal to learn how to ride a bike, a two-wheeled bike, before I turned age five. My mom recalls her account where she watched out the window and saw me crash and burn several times before finally learning a new life on two wheels instead of those training wheels. I remember that being hard. Quitting drinking? Well... That was a whole different universe of hard. But eventually, to be successful in quitting drinking, it required that same state of mind I used to master the two-wheeled craft. I didn't care what others thought about me. Believe me, at first, I did. In the end, I didn't care if I failed. And I didn't care if people saw me fail. I verbalized my goal and I set off to do it. If you think I sobered up on my first sobriety declaration, well, you're wrong. I crashed and burned so many times. But by getting back up, by being the turtle and not the hare, I eventually succeeded. You might be listening to this podcast episode and want to hit the stop button right now because getting unstuck is so hard. Believe me, 
I also have wanted to hit the stop button many times. And you can, and I can as well. We can temporarily hit the stop button. We can allow ourselves breaks. In fact, we have to. We have to stop and tell ourselves we are worth it, that we love ourselves. That actually has to happen. There is no room for statements like, I can't do this, because whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And remember, it's not a matter of you can do this. You are doing this in the progressive state. You are doing this. Me getting unstuck at this moment in my sobriety. Me getting unstuck involves coming off my ADD meds for the second time in five months. It was such a miserable experience the first time, which yielded such a tremendous opportunity for growth, I decided to do it again. I'm kidding on that one. I tend to have to learn things the hard way twice. So why do I want to come off my ADD meds? Well, it's sort of a long-term investment. When I'm on ADD meds, sure, I'm more productive, but I tend to isolate. It's Paul and whatever project I'm working on. It's Paul and whatever book I'm reading, but it's basically Paul and Paul. I've heard before that the opposite of addiction is connection. And when I'm on my ADD meds, I isolate. I don't connect. Although I'm so thankful to have a tremendous recovery network. If I want to make it to year four, year five, 10, 15, and 20 years of sobriety, this recovery network has to get stronger. I plan on connecting with more like-minded individuals. Addicts and alcoholics need altruistic relationships in our lives with others who don't drink. This is imperative. It's been a while since I've been under the influence of alcohol, and I'm going to say nice job, Paul, but I'm ready to take the next step forward in sobriety, and it's not easy. As I mentioned, this is a blind leap of faith. I remember going to the doctor when I was drinking saying, I can't focus, so I went on ADD meds. Sure, I've always had some ADD traits and always will. But looking back, it wasn't so much of a focus issue as it was that I was mostly hungover. Becoming unstuck is hard, but I'd rather fail miserably trying than not try at all. And you know what's comforting? I don't have to do this alone because I've got you. We can get unstuck together. I've got people in my corner like the true rock star of this episode, Trisha, who I can dial up at any moment and ask for advice. Sure, it all starts with me, that much is true, but I don't have to do this journey alone. I, you, we are not alone. I want to walk the walk that I talk on this podcast, and I am, to the best of my ability. And before we hear from Trisha, let's hear from Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it was painful. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group 24 hours a day. There, you can get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For $14 a month, you can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend online meetups, attend in-person Cafe RE meetups, and participate in book club. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Tarisha, great to have you back. How are you? Great, Paul. Thanks. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Listeners, if the name Tricia sounds familiar, it's because she was interviewed in episode 100. And where are they now? Tricia is back. But this time, she's got more than 31 days of sobriety. She's got actually more than one year of sobriety. So welcome back to the podcast, Trisha. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations on one year. How does it feel? It feels like the best thing, my favorite thing I've ever done. It feels really great. Yeah. And we're going to get more focused on the nuts and bolts of recovery here instead of kind of your story. But, uh, and again, listeners go back to episode 100 and you can hear Trisha's story, you know, but give listeners just a quick background about yourself, Trisha, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, you know, you know, things like that. And you know, what do you like to do for fun? Okay. Well, uh, I live in Dallas, Texas. I'm 30, I'm 36, <laughs> <laughs> 36 years old. I'm uh, divorced. I have no kids and I'm a, a business owner. I'm a chef by trade and I own a meal delivery company, uh, for fun lately. I have been taking naps for fun. I've been a little busy, but uh, when I'm not doing that, I like to do kind of crafty stuff. I like to go running and go see live music, go see concerts. Nice. So, you know, in a, in a nutshell, why, why did you quit drinking? 
Well, I was one of the weirdos that didn't look like an alcoholic on paper, but uh, the mental obsession with alcohol was definitely a part of my my everyday life. You know, I was a what you call a high bottom. I was a high functioning alcoholic, which is really just an alcoholic who's also a workaholic. So I was still getting up, going to work every day, running a successful business, didn't have any run-ins with the law. And everybody thought I was fine, but you know, I was, I was drinking every day. And when I wasn't drinking, I was planning my drinking. I was scheduling everything around my drinking. And uh, I was usually hungover as well. So it was a combination of being hungover and planning drinking. That was it. And then I was also blacking out a lot. I sort of, my, my disease had progressed to where if I had four drinks or if I had 14, I was typically blacking out on accident all the time. So, uh, but for the most part, nobody had any idea. They just thought I was, you know, fun Trisha who liked to party sometimes and, and had it together, but I did not. And, uh, I gave up the battle last year. So what was the tipping point on November 13th, 2016? Was it a rock bottom moment or were you just sick and tired of being sick and tired? Yeah, so November 13th was after uh, three days of partying. It just happened to be a really social weekend. There was a party bus that I went on for somebody's birthday. You know, there was a lot of day drinking. There was some brunches. Uh, there was a, you know, a game night at a friend's house. But really, you know, on that first night on that party bus, I was so anxious the two weeks leading up to that party because I knew that I never knew what happened when I started drinking. As soon as I put the first one uh, up to my mouth, it was just... Who knew what was going to happen? I, I had lost all control over the outcome. So um, that night, I remember trying really hard not to drink and trying to do that thing where you look around and see how fast everyone else is drinking and making sure you're not drinking faster than they are and just tried to manage it all night. But I, I still blacked out and still woke up the next morning with bruises all over my legs that I had no idea where they came from. So um, after three nights of, of partying kind of similar to that. Um, I woke up on a, on a Monday and had about two and a half days of my first um, physical withdrawals, which was pretty scary. And uh, after I started feeling better about two and a half, three days later, I was like, well, I guess this is starting now. And I just kind of kept going and, and decided to, I sort of decided a few days into it that I was going to try to get sober. I wasn't planning on it. It just happened before I knew it. Would you say that was a shift in the mind? Because it's, it's something's different when we get sober and it sticks. I know how it was for me. It was just different at that time. But you said like after the physical withdrawal symptoms went away, you noticed that something was different. And what was that, you think? I had always planned on quitting drinking someday. I knew that I wasn't a normal drinker and hadn't been for a long time. So I always knew that I was never going to be able to live the rest of my life drinking the way that I did. And that was always just part of the plan was giving it up someday. And once, you know, it's like there's so much pressure to plan like when you're going to quit drinking. That's God, that's so much pressure. And my last memory of drinking was those was detoxing and those physical withdrawals and feeling terrible. And once I got through that, the idea of going back and drinking again and then planning an official stop, it just seemed like, well, I, I just got through what's probably the hardest few days. I might as well just go with it. And I think that that kind of tricked, you know, I think you said it best in, in when we interviewed last was I, I tricked my unconscious mind and sort of started the game before my brain knew what we were doing. And I'm really glad that I did because I don't have any last, you know, great memories of like my last drink. I have really bad memories of blocking out and detoxing. And that's what I want to remember when I think about my last experience with alcohol. That's another, that's another gift that was given to me that uh, helps me stay sober. And one of the best parts about doing the Recovery Elevator podcast and the Cafe IRE communities is getting to know people. And Trisha, I have had the absolute pleasure of getting to know you. We interviewed at 31 Days. You came out to the retreat in Bozeman, and you actually helped me plan the retreat. We, we had a weekly call for about six weeks leading up to the retreat. You helped a ton with logistics. I saw you walking up and down the hills with coffee. Thank you so much for doing that. And it's just so awesome to see you with over a year of sobriety. You have no idea how big of a smile that, that puts on my face. And... You know, and we celebrate in Cafe RE. There's so many people 
um, who are hitting these milestones. And there's also a lot of people who are struggling, but we support each other, whether, you know, we're getting back up or we're, we're hitting a milestone. Um, you know, and what was it like for you when you hit one year? What was that feeling? One year felt better than my, my, my birthday. <laughs> my, yeah. my, my soberversary felt so much more important than any birthday I've ever had. And, you know, I, I was, I, I got my six months sober. Uh, that happened right after my birthday uh, in May. And I remember not being super excited about my birthday, but being really pumped about having six months. And then having one year was like 10 times that feeling of excitement and accomplishment. I've been looking forward to it. I was also really uh, kind of squirrely is the best word I can think of. The, the few weeks leading up to it were really weird. Uh, and I can get in, I can get into that here in a little bit, but, uh, the day of, it felt like my birthday or like Christmas when you're a little kid, I was so excited to wake up and just like sit and be present and think about how far I've come. It was also really nice on the cafe RE Facebook group to get all these amazing videos and well wishes from people that have been supporting me along the way and that I've been supporting too. It, it was really, really cool. I loved it. It's, I, I, I think it's going to go down in history as like one of my favorite days I've ever experienced. Nice. And you also did for many of the unthinkable and for myself at one point, my journey, the unthinkable as well, you posted it on Facebook and what was your, what was your reaction or response there? You know, this might be an underwhelming answer. <laughs> <laughs> one of the reasons why I post and I did it probably around nine months. I went public on Facebook. One of the reasons why is because I couldn't remember who I had told and who I had not told mm -hmm. that I had gotten sober. And I was like, I couldn't keep track and it was too much energy to, to, to try. So I was like, I'll just let everyone know. So I did. And uh, the reaction was amazing. It was nothing but positive support. But the coolest thing is the mess, the private messages I got from people that were questioning their own drinking or let me know that they identified with what I was saying or let me know that they were going through the same battle. And those messages still continue to come. Um, for anybody who's considering putting their sobriety on social media, just know that that's the response that you get will never stop. People will associate you with your message and they will continue to come back and talk to you about it. It's a really, it's a really neat feeling. I'm glad I did it. And what you said reminded me of the word exhausting. And there's two things, keeping a secret is tiring. It's absolutely exhausting for me, keeping my drinking a secret while I was drinking. And number two, keeping my recovery a secret was also exhausting. It's just so much more liberating right now to have that elephant off my back. Number one, I don't drink, but number two, I'm not anonymous about it. And I don't remember, I don't have to remember who I told, who I didn't tell. And it sounds like you're in the same boat. And, and Trisha, when you hit one year of sobriety, you did a video. You also put that video into writing. And I want to read a paragraph about what you said. We're gonna read a couple paragraphs, but this is uh, one of them that stuck out in particular. It reads, what I didn't realize was that in sobriety, we are all in the same boat, every day fighting to stay sober. You never arrive. You don't get sober and then everything is fixed. You're still going to have to fight the same battles as everyone else does every single day, but you just get used to doing it without alcohol. You get used to handling life head on, working through it, and then moving on to something else rather than just drink to numb it and be confronted with the same bullshit the next day. I love that paragraph. And tell me more about that for you. Yeah. You know, when I first got sober, I listened, God, I just listened to so many of the uh, recovery elevator podcast episodes, but I would jump back and forth and try to find everyone that was in their first 30 days and just listen to those interviews because I related so deeply with somebody who was going through what I was going through right then. Their pain felt fresher. I felt like I could just relate to them so much more than somebody who had nine months or a year of sobriety or more than that. That just seemed like it was so far away and like they didn't get where I was at. And as I gained more and more time, I realized that you never forget how fresh that feels. At least I haven't. But we're all still in the same boat. It's not like you have a year of sobriety and then everything is, is gravy. That's just, that's not the way it works. You work it every day. You fight the same things every day. You deal with the same problems every day. And you just get, learn to get into the habit of not leaning on alcohol to help get you through it. That's, alcohol is the biggest liar. I mean, 
I thought that alcohol was going to help me relax, work through my problems, ease my stress. And it, it just lied every day because I would wake up the next morning still feeling awful and still having to deal with the same problem that I was trying to avoid the day before. So that's the cool thing about sobriety. God, there's so many cool things about it, but it's not just about learning how to quit drinking. It's about learning how to face your life and deal with your problems rather than just push them away and continue to deal with the same things every day. And that's coping skills. If there's one thing we all have in common when we first get sober is we have crap coping skills. And how do you feel like your coping skills have improved in the last year? Oh, you know, it's interesting because sometimes it's harder. Sometimes it's more exhausting because you have to drum up the strength from somewhere to really face things. And that takes a lot of effort. I have learned how to cope with my problems, how to face my struggles, how to handle difficult situations with my life and dealing with other people. But I've also had to work to learn how to do that. Becoming sober didn't instantly make me able like able to deal with those things. I still had to seek out, okay, how am I going to learn? It took it took talking to other to other alcoholics. It it took going to AA meetings. It took a therapist. It took reading. It took I mean, I really had to seek these tools in addition to giving up the alcohol. It's it's a full package. It's not just you get rid of the booze and everything's great. I can't stress that enough. Quitting drinking is just the very thinnest layer on this. Everything else that happens after that is the stuff that really gets you through life and, and allows you to live. And thank God, because if I just gave up drinking and then did everything else the same, I'd have a really weird life and it'd be pretty boring. There's something I like in particular in that paragraph. It's handling life head on. Now, when I was drinking, when I confronted a challenge, an uncomfortable feeling, I always went left. I always went right. Rarely did I sit in the center and face my problems head on. And that's what sobriety has allowed me to do is I'm allowed to feel the emotions that they come for face value. And I'm not, I'm not pushing them at a later date because we have to feel all these emotions. We can't just skip them. We can't time more past them. And the sobriety has allowed me to feel these emotions. And it sounds like you're also seeing life head on as well. Yeah, and I'm glad that you touched on the avoiding feelings because that's one of the biggest parts of getting through life is, is learning how to feel your feelings and not running away from them and not letting your feelings make your decisions for you learning it's like you're meeting your feelings for the first time when you get sober and we often you know we numb them because we don't want to feel the painful ones we don't want to feel the tough ones we don't want to feel stress or anxiety but ironically when you do that you're also numbing all the good stuff you're numbing a lot of joy and you're numbing a lot of humor and you know, you don't just get rid of one and keep the other. It's all inclusive. You're numbing your feelings, you're numbing it all. So when you get sober and suddenly you're meeting your feelings, it's a little overwhelming. And again, it takes, you know, the effort to learn how to work through those. Sometimes I was exhausted. I rem at the end, especially in the first three to four months, I remember being so tired at the end of the day because I was so tired of feeling my feelings, you know, it, it'll take it out of you if you're, if you're new at feeling it. So learning how to handle that and not immediately want to go make a drink to, to numb it was a lot of work. You know, this really took a lot of work, but in facing it and facing my feelings and then, and, and having to express them in a healthy way, and still manage my day-to-day -day relationships, my work relationships. It's a lot of work. But these are life skills that I'm going to have forever. And nobody can ever take this away from me. I can't say that I've always been the easiest person to deal with in sobriety as well. I was really good in the past at drinking, numbing my feelings, and pretending like everything was fine. Wear a smile. Everything's fine. Don't worry about me. Well, now if I'm feeling something and it's important that I express it or stand up for myself, a lot of people aren't used to that. 
not a lot. I'm not, don't know that many people, but some people that I deal with on a regular basis just aren't used to that. And uh, it's new to them. Amy from the retreat said something about like when, when people pleasers stop pleasing people, people won't be pleased. I love that quote so much. I said it the other day. Yeah, it's so true. I was a big people pleaser. And for the sake, I mean, at the expense of a lot. And now that I'm not so focused on pleasing people, I'm focused on making the right decisions. It complicates the process sometimes, but the end result is so much better. Yeah, just like you said, not going left or right, just facing things head on and walking through it has been difficult and rewarding. Yeah, getting unstuck is hard and not everybody does it. And it's just you defy the odds. Not a lot of people. In fact, very few people make it to one year of sobriety. And it's so awesome. And I want to read another paragraph. Uh, and this is awesome because getting sober, it's not, it's a lot about doing things. There's a lot of action required in sobriety, but it's also a, a lot about not doing things. Okay. So here's what you said. There are a lot of things I did to make it through the last year sober, but what kept me sober was all of the things I didn't want to do. I didn't want to tell people. I didn't want to be accountable because what if I failed? I didn't want to feel my feelings. I didn't want to feel pain. I didn't want to be patient and hold back my anger when I was mad at someone. I didn't want to calm down. I didn't want to try AA. I didn't want to go to meetings or talk to strangers. I didn't want to listen to people telling me what they thought would help. Now, again, it's you know not doing some negative actions, but getting sober is all about doing the things that we don't want to do. And that's, that's actually how I should have phrased that. It's all about doing things that you don't want to do. So tell us more about that. You know, I so quickly can compare getting sober to starting an exercise routine. Everybody, you know, it's like the reason why the weight loss industry is a billion dollar industry is because everyone wants a quick fix. You know, you take a pill, you lose the weight, you're done. Well, that never works. What works is putting in hard work at the gym and the discipline of having a healthy diet. That's hard work, but you get the best results. It's the same in, in sobriety. There's no quick fix. You have to do the things that make you uncomfortable. You have to do the things that are hard. You have to learn how to have discipline. Does this take more effort? Totally. Yeah, but that's what gives you success. That's what gives you the best result. You know, I'm never going to push A on people. I, I understand that it's, it's attraction and not promotion. For me, it works, and I can take what I like from the program and leave the rest. Uh, I went to as many of those meetings as I could in my first uh, three to four months. There were days when I didn't want to go or when I thought I didn't have time, but I just remembered it, it was like, uh, it's like taking medicine. You know, you just you got to take your medicine sometimes, even though you don't want to. Uh, I didn't always want to listen to people who had 20 years of sobriety tell me what they think I should do because, you know, what's this, what's this old man who got sober, you know, when I was, you know, 10, like, what's he going to know about me? Well, he's going to know a lot. He's been doing the right thing for 20 years. You know, I wanted to lash out sometimes and scream when I was feeling really uncomfortable feelings, but you really shouldn't scream at somebody. It turns out you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> like you got to have the self-discipline sometimes to reel it in and really think about, okay, why am I feeling this? Where's that coming from? What part of this is my fault? You know, that, all of these things take effort. You know, going to sleep early takes effort. You know, getting up early takes effort. It all is hard work, but that's what gives you the results. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Everybody would succeed at it. You know, the hardest things in life are hard because the reward is great. So I can't stress that enough. Like getting sober is uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable and it's difficult, but the, yeah, the greatest things in life usually are. So what were some challenges that you overcame in your first year of sobriety? These could be life events. They could be emotional. What are some challenges that you made through, made it through sober? You know, I got sober a little over a year after getting a divorce and it was a, it was a surprise divorce. I, I had um, found out that my ex-husband was having affairs with other women and I drank, uh, well, I got divorced and I drank. I did both those things and <laughs> I drank a lot. And I, I put off a lot of that grief. Uh, again, part of the numbing your feelings, I was just numbing those, those uncomfortable feelings that you have to feel when you're processing a, a divorce. 
So when I got sober, a lot of that came back and I really had to finish dealing with that. I'm glad I did because uh, I don't want to be dragging that stuff around with me years later. Nobody wants to be around that person and I don't want to be that person. When I was drinking, I was also sort of checked out of my business that I own. I don't want to say checked out. It was running well, but I wasn't, I wasn't as invested in it as I had been in the past. I kind of just turned and, and looked the other way sometimes. And we went through a lot of changes in the last year. I had to move my business into a bigger kitchen, which ended up being like a five month process. Uh, it was something that was great because it was something for me to work on while I was getting sober. But Oh, God, that was hard. <laughs> that was hard, but I did it. You know, so those are some of the hardest days I've had, but I did them and I didn't have to rely on alcohol to get through them. One of the biggest struggles that I went through was learning how to tell my friends and learn about the friend filter. I got accountable right away when I quit drinking and I told a lot of people that were close to me and you find out real quick which, one you, which ones are your friends, your drinking buddies, and which ones are your actual buddies. That's a rude awakening, doesn't feel good, but it's essential. You gotta learn who really cares about you as a person and who really just is there for the superficial stuff. I don't wanna say I lost a lot of friends because some people came back around later and some people I'm friends with now that I have the sobriety, like the strength in my sobriety to go out and, and be at, at social events where people are drinking, but learning how to manage social events was a that's a that's a tough one that anyone is going to struggle with and um, again it was work um, I had to learn I, I sort of had to cherry pick which which events I could go to and which ones I didn't really need to go to I learned what time is the right time to leave <laughs> there's always like this shift about 10:30 at night when everything just goes to a different level and you feel it and you look around and everyone's eyes kind of glaze over and, and it gets the, the volume goes up a little. And I had to learn to go, okay, now is my time to go home. This, yeah, learning how to manage social occasions and your friends, that was a really big thing that I learned. It kind of goes the same in, uh, hand in hand with dating. It's a great filter for dating and, and meeting people, um, learning how to do that without alcohol, figuring out pretty quickly who drinks a lot and who doesn't and learning how to manage the awkward feelings of a first date while being sober. And, and Trisha, the majority of listeners from what I have found from polls and, and just doing the podcast for a while, the majority of listeners have yet to step foot into an AA meeting. Now you've been doing sobriety for every year. You've been to tons of meetings. You've tried a lot of things. What are your thoughts on AA and, and what can you, what, what light can you shed upon the 12 step process? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have a lot of opinions about AA, most of them good. AA is wonderful because it's a place where you can meet people who get you in real life. We all have the same problem. So it doesn't matter what socioeconomic background you come from, how old you are, what you do, what you look like. We all have the same, we all have the same disease. So it's really neat to meet people who just get you, especially when you're traveling. If you're traveling and you're out of your comfort zone, you can find an AA meeting in that city and immediately feel at home. I love that part about AA. At the same time, people in AA can kind of ruin AA for me. There are some times when I just, there's just energy vampires or, 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 or as I call them, life ruiners. You just, you just can't wait to get out of there. But, um, you know, we're not all perfect. AA is a really awesome program in the, the 12 steps or the core of it. There's, there's two parts of A. There's going to meetings and then there's working the 12 steps. They're two very different things. And I think that, I think that if you just go to meetings and you don't do the steps, you're really missing out. The 12 steps can apply to anything. Everyone's addicted to something, you know, whether it's uh, alcohol or cigarettes or your phone, everyone's addicted to something. And the 12 steps are such an awesome set of tools to learn how to live your life and and deal with those things head on every single day. I can't stress that the 12, I mean, even if you're not going to AA, maybe look into doing the 12 steps and have somebody help you out through them. I think that's my favorite part of it. But again, it's, it's, attract, it's attraction, not promotion. Take what you want, leave the rest. Nobody does it 100%. Um, I, think, I think if you're 
concerned about the God thing or the higher power thing, you should definitely go check it out because I had... I had these ideas in my head that it was a religious cult, and it's actually not. <laughs> Turns out, Strange. I know, right? Turns out I was wrong about something, yeah. uh, as we often are when we're trying to get sober. The higher power thing shouldn't scare you away because uh, you can kind of make that whatever you want. Um, I, I, that's what I hear the most. People saying, oh, I can't do the God thing. Okay, that's a great reason to try it then because there's a lot more, it's a lot more lax than you think uh, in that area. And Trisha, you should probably stay anonymous about your recovery. I'm kidding. How do you feel about the word anonymous? <laughs> well, for me, being anonymous doesn't work because uh, I want to share. I want to share what I've been through with people and let them know that that they're not alone. Because I know that when I was drinking, I felt alone. I felt like I was the only person that felt like that. I felt like I was the only person that felt guilty and ashamed the next day after drinking, and I wasn't. And if I had known that before. Who knows how much earlier I would have gotten sober, but for me, it's important to not stay anonymous. You know, the service part of this and helping others is amazing. I love helping other people. So yeah, if everybody knows I got a problem with the hooch, then so be it. (laughs) It's an added layer of accountability for me. Oh, I love it. And Trisha, let's talk about the retreat for a little bit here. If I look back on 2017 and it's nearly wrapping up, that that's the highlight by far. I remember driving back to the retreat area after the retreat to pick up the cornhole boards. And it was like the loneliest drive in the world. Just all these intense connections and really great people that I met, they weren't there anymore, but it was such an amazing weekend. And first off, I got to say thank you for, for helping me out. I could not have done that without you, but tell us a little bit about the retreat in your eyes and what you learned from it. Well, I, I want to mention, because you brought up the coffee earlier, Paul said me carrying the coffee up the hill. There was a hill that went up to the cabin where we all stayed in, and we were going to have coffee there all the time. Well, if you put a bunch of alcoholics in a cabin, and they're going to drink a lot of coffee. So I just want to reiterate that when I say, when he says walking coffee up the hill, it was like carrying... 25 times a day. Yes, it was like carrying two thermoses in each hand up a hill at altitude like a million times a day. Yeah, starting at 7 a.m. and ending at midnight. Oh, it started at 6 a.m. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, my God. I I thought everyone, oh, my God. I was just like, you don't want to be around these people if they're not caffeinated. So next year, we all split that. Definitely. Uh, (laughs) The retreat, you know, I signed up for the retreat really early in sobriety because I wanted that beacon to look forward to. I wanted that extra thing to help keep me accountable. Like, oh, got to stay sober for the retreat. And it worked. It really did. That's why, like, I think if there's any kind of meetup that we're doing on the Cafe RE Facebook group or the one in Dallas coming up or the trip to Peru, the people should sign up because it's a really, it's more incentive to stay sober. Now, the retreat in Montana, I was so excited about because I grew up going to summer camp, and I was really hoping it would be an adult summer camp experience, and it was. It really was. You know, you get out of the real world, you get away from your phones and the internet and your jobs, and you just get to focus on creating new relationships with people who are just like you and doing really random, fun activities and talking about your feelings and everybody just dove right into it. They were, everyone was so vulnerable right away. And I can't think of anywhere else in life where you get that kind of experience. It was really magical. That's the word that we always use is it was magic. It was just, you had to be there to know. And, uh, all I could do when I left was just cry. You know, Paul joked and said, Hey, Trisha, what's your favorite kind of tree? And I said, I don't know. And he said, Oh, I would have thought it'd be a weeping willow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Got you good, Trisha. <laughs> yeah, but it, it felt like summer camp when we were kids. And, and your, your parents come pick you up. And that drive home is just so lonely. And you miss all the friends that you made. But it, when, I, when I left, I, I had these bolstered relationships with 29 other people who are still part of my recovery portfolio today. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, and Trisha, you got over a year of sobriety. You, you've been open and you have done a ton of things that you didn't want to do. You know what? I'm sure you found things that work for you and I'm sure you found things that didn't work for you. You know, so what is working for you today and how are you going to get that second year of sobriety? In the last year, I tried everything. If, if there was something that somebody said was going to help me, I wanted to try it. And that's the cool part of getting sober is you can really create whatever program you want. As long as it's keeping you sober, 
do it. If that's going to meetings, do it. If it's meditating, if it's going to church, if it's joining a Facebook group, I mean, whatever you want, if it's working, do it. So I spent the last year trying all kinds of stuff. Turns out reading self-help books aren't really for me. Uh, I get a little too obsessed with things and I want to start doing everything at once and then I burn out. Uh, I, that happened to me around three and a half, four months. And my therapist told me specifically, stop with the self-help books. So I, I sort of bowed out of those, but I still go to, I go to my same uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, my very first one that I went to, I still go to that same one twice a week. Um, I check in on Cafe RE on the Facebook group every day and talk to somebody else who, you know, is also an alcoholic. I, you know, I'm, meditation is a big part of my day. That's never really changed. I started doing that pretty early where I get up and I walk my dog and deal with her. And then I, I sit and I meditate and I just take a minute to breathe and remind myself that I can't control everything. And that was one of the reasons why I drank was because I had so much anxiety because I was trying to hold on to everything to, to control. I was holding on so tight and I was exhausted from it. So to wake up and breathe and remember that there's so much that's out of my control, it just relaxes me for the day and reminds me to not set so many expectations and, you know, kind of learn to go with the flow. Meditation is a, is a game changer. If you haven't tried it, do it. There's a lot of really great apps to help you learn how, and I can't stress how how important that has been for me. I'm trying to think of what else I've done in my program. You know, <laughs> a lot of people exercise and learn how to exercise and start doing it on a regular basis in sobriety. I was kind of the reverse. When I was drinking, I worked out pretty obsessively, and part of that was because I needed to sweat out the booze every morning, and some of my control issues with were, you know, with my weight and body image stuff. And I wasn't working out for the right reasons. I feel like I was working out because I hated myself and I wanted to punish myself and I was supposed to look a certain way. And I've really relaxed on that and, and come a long way on those issues. I work out maybe half as much as I used to. And I do it because I enjoy it. It puts my mind in a good place, makes me happy, gets those good endorphins going. And I do it because I love my body and it makes me healthy. I'm not doing it as this strict form of obsessive punishment anymore so that's been a really interesting thing for me that's changed that I didn't expect I also eat dessert now I used to never eat dessert <laughs> if I'm not drinking wine then I want the cheesecake <laughs> absolutely and I like what you said about control one of the big takeaways that I took away from the retreat was gravity problems and the ability to say oh well is a gravity problem is one of those problems that you just can't help you can never fight gravity there's no point and learning to say, oh, well, and just accept the current situation, be like, oh, well, nothing I can do about that. It's liberating. And, and it's a continual work in progress for me, but it, it helped a lot. Um, and let's talk about you know, what advice can you get? I mean, we're good. Since you've already done the rapid fire round in episode 100, we're going to kind of skip those questions. But let, let's, let's go to the end. You know, what advice can you give to listeners who are thinking about getting sober or are you know, in early sobriety? Start right now. There's never a good time to start, like, except for now. You know, there's no right time. You can, don't wait until after the holidays. Do it now. Don't wait until after your birthday. Just do it now. It just gets harder the longer you wait. There's no perfect time to start except for right now. Ask for help. You're not, and it's the same thing I said in my first interview. You can't do this alone. If you could, you would have done it by now. So... <laughs> So ask for help. You know, people know how to do this. It's like, you don't, I heard this sad story that a friend told me recently about somebody they knew that has a severe drinking problem. They're probably in late stage alcoholism. They went into the hospital with pancreatitis. The doctor told them they needed to stop drinking immediately and, and needed to never drink again. That person said that they were probably going to think about moderation once they got out of the hospital. If moderation worked for that person, they wouldn't have ended up in the hospital. So if you think that you're going to get sober and learn how to drink like a normal person, I hope that you receive the wake-up call that it's okay to just not ever drink. That turns out you can just let go of that struggle of trying to manage something and just eliminate it altogether. When I think about how exhausted I was with trying to manage my drinking, 
it's so much easier just to let it go and not even have to worry about it. So I just, I can't, I mean, don't think that you're going to get sober so that you can drink like normal. That's not going to happen. It's just, if, if it was, it would have happened by now. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but good news is life is really great without alcohol. Kind of went off on a tangent there. No, no, it's good. And I want to expand on what you said with two anecdotes. First off, today is the very best chance you have to get sober. And somebody signed up for Cafe Area. This is just a couple days ago. And they sent me an email for an accountability partner. But they said, please pair me on this future date. That will be my sobriety date. And we're coming up to the holidays. And it was after a big, it was after a big holiday. And my hands hit the keyboard and I wanted to say basically what you just said, like, oh, t- you know, today there's a lot that can happen. A DUI, like anything can happen. And today is your very best chance of sobriety. But in return, I just said, okay, sounds good. I'll get you paired on this date. And number two, Trisha, um, you know, when somebody cancels from Cafe RE, I usually send an email and just asking for feedback. And this person responded like, no, Cafe, Cafe RE was great, but I hit my goal of 100 days of sobriety. And, and now I'm going to try drinking moderately. I went out with my husband a couple of days ago. We had a couple of glasses of wine at dinner, went home and everything was fine. You know, thank you so much. Uh, you know, please cancel my membership. And it, it's different for everybody, Tricia, but I've been doing this for a while and I have yet to meet one person, including myself, who that plan has worked out for. And I hope I'm wrong with this person. And I hope I never hear from them again in regards that they're out there drinking normally and nothing bad has happened. There's no pain to have them come back. But I've been doing recovery elevator, the, especially cafe RE for over, you know, over a year and a half. And a lot of people have come back. So, um, yeah, I, I like what you said there. It's, it's abstinence is, is the easiest, the less exhausting route for me. Something else that's important to remember with sobriety is that this is not a new year's resolution. Uh, this is not a detox. This is not a cleanse. It's not a fad or a trend. This, this is not a trend. This is not a quick way to lose weight. This is not a time to start doing everything at once. It's not the st- if you're going to get sober, focus on staying sober. Don't focus on oh, I'm eating too much sugar and I want to lose weight. Oh, but I also want to start doing CrossFit the same day. I mean, this is a disease that kills people. This is serious. This is something that you're facing that that kills millions of people. So treat it with the weight that it deserves don't get uh you know i always tell people like just don't worry if you gain a few pounds don't worry if you eat the whole family size bag of tropical skittles in one night not saying i did just maybe a friend did gotta taste the rainbow trisha the ones are so good they're pina colada (laughs) you know that is superficial stuff to worry about later what's important now is to learn how to stop depending on alcohol for everything. Worry about the other stuff later. You tackle things one thing at a time. Like, what's that phrase? Like, what's the best way to eat an elephant? Like, one bite at a time? Just do things one, a little at a time. So don't be, you know, don't, uh, don't overwhelm yourself. This is a lifelong change. So it's going to take a lot longer than a week to figure it out. You know, most of us haven't been drinking for, you know, just 30 days. So it's not like you get it, you know, licked in 30 days. Give it some time. Give it some time. Treat it with, with some respect because this is a disease that you're facing. And Trisha, to expand on the Where Are They Now series, I'm looking at my calendar, looking at November 22nd, 2018. Um, Go ahead and mark your calendar. Let's do the same interview right after you got two years. So let's keep, yeah, let's do this. Keep moving forward. And and tell tell us just a little bit about um, Gourmetio. You've got this meal delivery service, this business that you've been able to fully tackle in sobriety. I know it's based out of Dallas, Texas. So if you want great home cooked, fresh, not home cooked, but you know, fresh cooked meals delivered to your home, that's possible. Tell us more about it. Uh, yeah. So we do, I have a local, it's all over Dallas, Fort Worth area, a local meal delivery business that's, you know, uh, fresh paleo meals, ketogenic meals, um, whole 30. It's, you know, we're just, we're really, nutritionally focused prepared meal delivery service and trisha let's close it out the way we close out all interviews give listeners your own customized you might be an alcoholic gift line you might be an alcoholic if typical i'm going to be an overachiever i've got like four you might be an alcoholic if you're always scheduling your day around your drinking Mm-hmm. Like an alcoholic, if everything has a hard stop at four or five o'clock because you gotta start drinking mm-hmm 
you might be an alcoholic if you know exactly how many ice cubes are in everyone's cocktails when because you've watched all of Mad Men while drunk. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you obsess over drinking, you might be an alcoholic. And yeah, that those four check out pretty good. Yeah, bucket list. Oh yes, what's on your bucket list? What is on my bucket list? You know what's cool is I'm going to be speaking at the Dallas social meetup, and I really enjoy that. I like talking to other people about what it's like to get sober and what it's like, you know, to be an alcoholic that was highly functioning because a lot of people. Have this idea that everyone is that everyone who has a drinking problem is is a, is a visible hot mess, and that's just not the case. So I'd really like to you know do more speaking engagements and uh, and go to Peru. We're going to do Peru next fall, so that's a really cool bucket list thing that I've always always wanted to do, and now I have a really great excuse to do it with with a bunch of cool sober people. It is great sobriety fuel, like you mentioned earlier. We've already got 15 people signed up for Peru. There's no way I can drink before that. Not happening. I got to stay sober for that. Me too. What's that? Me too. Oh, you too. Absolutely. And, and, and if you want to meet Trisha in person, she is going to speak at the Recovery Elevator Social in Dallas, Texas. I think it's January 20th. It's going to be a blast. More information on that on our website, recoveryelevator.com. And it's snackpaleo.com if you want to get some healthy items shipped to your doorstep. Trisha, this is awesome. Thank you so much. I love my life. I'm happy to share it. Another great way to start this new year, to give yourself some incredible sobriety fuel is join us in Peru. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash Peru. We've got a couple slots left. There's already over 20 of us making the trip down to Peru. What I found out from people who attended the retreat in Bozeman in August is having that set date, having paid a deposit gives you incredible sobriety motivation. The trip is going to be incredible. So go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash Peru and join us. And of course, email me at paul at recoveryelevator.com if you have any questions. Recovery Elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. Let's get this New Year's started off right. We can do this. Mm -hmm.